The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Ida strikes again after pounding the Gulf Coast with torrential rains and flooding the Northeast, facing what remains of the hurricane with scenes reminiscent of Superstorm Sandy. Breaking overnight, the Supreme Court refusing to block a controversial abortion law in Texas in a 5-4 vote. Plus, Apple bending to pressure yet again when it comes to App Store payments, its second concession in as many weeks. Sticking with tech, under fire, antitrust officials taking another look at Google over its advertising technology business, and double trouble for the Golden Arches amid a new FTC investigation and franchisees calling on 14-year-olds to fill the hiring gap. It's Thursday, September 2nd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today, and here's how stock futures are looking on this Thursday morning so far. As you can see right now, the futures are implying a marginally higher open for the Dow, up about 75 points. The S&P implied higher by roughly 10 points, and the Nasdaq implied higher by 38 points as well. Now, the Nasdaq and Nasdaq Composite are coming off fresh record highs in yesterday's session. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories. We have Christina Partsonevelos here with those. Christina, good morning to you. Good morning, Dom. So Apple right now says it will loosen rules on its app store and allow apps like Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Kindle to send customers or send customers to links outside the App Store ecosystem. So that will let them or third-party companies collect payment information and possibly skirt Apple's 30% commission on App Store purchases. The move is Apple's second concession to regulators in as many weeks as the company faces continued pressure over its App Store. Moderna says it has submitted documents to the FDA for the evaluation of a booster dose for its COVID-19 vaccine. The company says it expects to submit data to European regulators and others in the coming days as well. And this comes as an FDA panel is set to meet later this month to discuss booster doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. And the Wall Street Journal says the Federal Trade Commission is looking into malfunctioning ice cream machines at McDonald's locations across the country amid ongoing complaints by franchisees and customers. According to the report, the FTC is checking how McDonald's reviews its equipment and whether the chain allows restaurant owners to fix their own machines and if suppliers are intentionally making their devices difficult to service. McDonald's says it doesn't think it's the target of any FTC investigation. The ice cream machines are made by Taylor Commercial Food Service. Dom, just the story we needed this morning. I don't know. Soft serve is something I take very seriously at times. Christina Partzanevelis, thank you very much for that. To this morning's top story and what remains of Hurricane Ida inundating the Northeast with historic rains leading to widespread flooding, tornadoes and multiple fatalities at this point. 
Our own Contessa Brewer joins us with the very latest on the storm. Good morning, Contessa. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of the video coming in now, Dom, from across the region, and it is not good. First of all, a travel ban in New York City is just now lifting as we speak. It was put in place overnight because the water was simply too deep and too dangerous. Uh, the subway service throughout most of the city is still closed right now. That is going to be a big problem for people trying to get around this morning. Water flooded into tunnels during heavy rainfall, and the National Weather Service had to issue, for the first time ever, by the way, a set of flash flood emergencies in New York City and for the surrounding region. I also want to talk not just about the widespread flooding, and it has been across multiple states, but also we have multiple confirmed tornadoes. Let me show you some video coming in from Annapolis, Maryland. We're told that a funnel cloud touched down here, and you can see it from some of this uh, cell phone video taken, it appears, while driving, uh, from Annapolis, Maryland, an EF3 in terms of strength. The most powerful tornadoes are EF5s. And then let's show you the aftermath of when this swept through. And you can see widespread damage from above. Roofs have come off. People's homes have been entirely destroyed. Uh, and so what they'll be doing is going out today and trying to assess that, trying to get in safely. And we know when this happens in areas that there are downed power lines, there are um, hazards that prevent homeowners from getting back in if they had evacuated or from uh, from rescue and repair crews trying to get back in as well. Uh, of course, the other part of this, Dom, is that it can take days for rivers to crest. So the flooding remains a persistent problem. And in Massachusetts now, there have been new tornado warnings just issued in tornado watches. So that continues. So, so Contessa, I, I, I can understand very, very closely. I, I can understand very well what you're talking about, because on my drive into work this morning, I was rerouted by ways four or five different times because of flooding, because of down power lines, because of everything else. Just how much of an effort will it be for emergency crews to even get to these locations? Because on certain highways and parkways, there are flooding accidents already in progress trucks can't even get to where they're supposed to be. That's why these governors have put in states of emergency across New Jersey and New York, because they really don't want people out. It creates more of a hazard for the crews getting in. And, and by the way, this work from home thing could be problematic today because of power outages and because of Internet uh, outages as well. Okay, so that's that's number one. Number two, you've got this deep water flooding. In New York City, we know that the water was so deep they had to do uh, rescues in these high-profile vehicles that were bought after Superstorm Sandy came through. Um, so until the water recedes, it's going to be very hard for people to get in. There may be families sheltering in place in attics or top floor, you know, certainly in New York City to go up to higher floors than what your apartment may, may be in um, to try and escape some of this flood water. So uh, once it's daylight and people are out and about, we're going to get a better sense of how widespread that is. But this is it's really remarkable to have flash flood emergencies issued for New York City. And Dom, one more thing to know, in New York City, when you ask people, and, and surveys have been done about this, when you ask people, where's the safest place to be in an emergency, like a weather emergency, often they'll answer the subway. 
And what we saw yesterday with the water just pouring through those storm grates is that it absolutely was not a safe place to be. Absolutely. Many people in the tri-state area, the New York region, waking up multiple times throughout the course of the night with their phones going off with those flash flood warnings as well. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much for the storm update there. Well, back to the markets now. Stocks ending the day mostly higher yesterday with the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 eking out some small gains despite the August ADP private employment report coming in below forecasts. That could put a bigger spotlight on Friday's big jobs report and the timing of the Fed's tapering decision, which could be announced or even begin possibly this month. Let's now bring in Seema Shah, chief strategist at Principal Global Investors. Seema, it appears as though for right now the markets seem to be shaking everything off. What is behind the optimism, given all of the headwinds that could potentially be on the horizon? Hi, Dom. Yeah, I, look, you, clearly the market's really optimistic. And I think there's a few reasons. One is that, you know, it looks like hopefully in the U.S. the COVID case growth is plateauing. Um, and that should mean that in the months ahead, things should improve. So that's one thing. It takes away one of the growth scares. The other thing is, although the, the Fed looks like it's set to taper, their balance sheet is still going to be growing. And they've been very, very careful to emphasize that just because they start tapering their purchases, it doesn't mean that rate hikes are um, immediately on the way. We still think that's a couple of years out. And then off the back of that, we should still have really easy financial conditions, strong growth ahead. And of course, that's always very good for equity markets. So, so if, if, that's the, if that's the case, that's the condition, what exactly are investors looking towards SEMA? Because I, I know that just from watching the price action over the last, we'll call it two or three months, it appears as though that kind of tried and true trade over the last decade and a half has now kind of emerged again, and that is just go back into large-cap, mega-cap technology, go towards Apple, go towards Microsoft, go towards Facebook, those types of companies. Is that, again, now the trend for the overall markets? Are we away from the COVID recovery trade? I think it's, it's a really good question because I think there is still some steam left in that COVID recovery trade. The thing with a lot of these big tech firms, especially the, your, your fangs there, is that they have the really strong balance sheets, positive cash flows. They show time and time again that they have got those strong earnings numbers. Um, so it's not just um, a cyclical trade, something that performs well when the economy is doing, well, is doing well, but it's something which proves itself time and time again, even when times are tough. So if you have any concerns about the growth outlook, and of course, some people do, um, a lot of those big tech firms are the place to almost hide out. So we are certainly, uh, we have allocations to big tech, we do continue to believe that they will do well. We, we, we continue to kind of see this trend of new highs. It seems like every other day we talk about records in the U.S. market here. But it appears as though the pace of, of gains is starting to slow. Does that imply that there are other places around the world where a recovery trade could still be in the earlier mid-stage innings, uh, to, to put a baseball analogy to it? Yeah, exactly. So what we're seeing is, that, as you said, so U.S. market growth or at least expansion is, is starting to slow, which is exactly what we'd expect, because U.S. growth is not going to be um, moving at the same kind of pace that we saw in the beginning of the year. Now it's time to look um, to other parts of the world where you still have got that reopening trade either underway or about to start. And for us, we think although emerging markets right now is struggling in early 2022, when their vaccine pace takes off, they have a full reopening, a lot of more confidence. That's when you could see that big boom in a lot of the emerging markets. Of course, being careful which uh, markets you're investing, really active management is key for emerging markets. And of course, Europe is still doing well. They're still enjoying some of that shine from the reopening trade.
All right, sir. It could be a catch-up trade in the works there. Seema Shah, Principal Global, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks. When we come back on the show, much more on Hurricane and Tropical Storm Ida and the historic flooding across parts of New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. We are tracking the storm's path and the damage left in the wake of that storm ahead. Plus, Manhattan on the rebound. A new report this morning on rental prices surging. Yes, surging to near two-year highs. We're just a year removed from the pandemic lows. And later, call it the danger zone. Why moviegoers will have to wait a bit longer for their Tom Cruise fix, Maverick. Very busy hours still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. There are signs today that the New York real estate market may finally be adjusting back to normal levels, if you want to call it that. According to the August signed contracts report from Douglas Elliman and Miller Samuel, signed contracts in Manhattan or up in August doubled compared to 2020 and even up compared to 2019 pre-pandemic. Meanwhile, new signings in the Hamptons declined for the third straight month with listings also down. So is it a sign of the city coming back post-COVID lockdown? Let's bring in Scott Durkin, CEO of Douglas Element Real Estate, joins us now in a CNBC exclusive interview. I mean, Scott, a lot of people, and who could remember that, that newspaper headline that kind of implied that New York City was dead? It seems all has been forgiven in the real estate market just in the, in the, in the course of 18 months. Yeah, that's a wonderful way of putting it. Um, it's come back with a roar and uh, not only sales, but rentals as well. You can't find a, a rental with concessions anymore, but the sales market has just skyrocketed with people returning to the city and preparing for the best fall we've ever seen in the history of the company. So, Scott, I mean, what's behind it? What exactly is driving people back to buy Manhattan real estate when they were shunning it just a year plus ago? What is having them come back to sign these rental agreements when nobody really wanted to be here? They all wanted to be in the suburbs or Florida or, or North Carolina working remotely. Well, let's not forget it was it was temporary, even though it was 18 to 20 months long. At March 13th, Friday the 13th, we all left. Some of us left food on our desk and we never came back. So, um, you know, we've been, it's been pent up. We were shut down for four months. 
in Manhattan and Brooklyn, so we couldn't show property. There was a lot of catch up. And now that people are able to um, work remotely, they want that return to work because there's something missing in their lives right now. You can only work from your home for so long before it kind of drives you batty. So we're seeing a lot of return from, from every sector, uh, right from the rentals up to the very, very high-end listings. So, so, Scott, take us through where the real strength is. Is it the co-op market? Is it the condo market? Is it single-family homes in some of the outer boroughs? What exactly is seeing some of that big surge? We're seeing a big surge in every sector of the market, from the, the, the first-time buyer to the, the third home buyer that wants to be on Billionaire's Row. So we're, there's, there's no real difference here. It's, it's spread across the, the board. I think the, the big seller now, though, is the four-bedroom home, which tends to uh, sell for north of $4 million. People need a home office now. That's a given. They need a, a, a place to go to get away from it all, and they want that in each home. And we're finding that in all of our regions in Douglas Elliman across the country, People are wanting four, five, six-bedroom homes. So I would say that the, the four-bedroom home and higher is, is selling very well, and that's where we're seeing an inventory shortage right now. And before we let you go, you know, I mentioned in, in our introduction to you some of the, the, the data around sales and, and signings in the Hamptons. Is that a trend that you continue to see possibly in the next few months, several months, year or so, that this idea that the Hamptons market is going to finally cool off? Because when you say billionaires row, that's immediately what I think of. Well, I think the Hamptons is, is, is now suffering from an inventory shortage. I happen to be in the Hamptons right now, and I was with some of our agents last night. And the homes are selling in a matter of, of days and sometimes hours. So there's pent-up demand, but we're seeing inventory shortages. So don't let the drop in business make you think that the market's softening. We just don't have the inventory it sounds like that's a problem that many real estate markets across the country have. Scott Durkin at Douglas Elliman, thank you very much for that exclusive report on what's happening with the real estate market. We appreciate it. Thanks. Still on deck for the show, why investors are taking a big bite out of Chewy. See what I did there this morning. Your big money movers when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Time now for your big money movers, four stock stories of the morning. Chewy shares right now tumbling. This comes after the pet retailer's earnings fell short of analyst forecasts, and it offered a weak forecast. Those shares down 9% in the pre-market. A different story, though, for ChargePoint. That stock is jumping this morning. The company makes charging stations for electric vehicles. Its quarterly results beat the street guidance, and, and guidance there was strong as well. Those shares moving higher as well. Now, five below shares are under pressure. The retailer's earnings topped estimates, but revenues fell short of expectations. And then finally, 
Viva Systems, that stock dropping despite an earnings beat. The company provides cloud solutions for the life sciences industry. So watch those four stocks of the morning. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. President Biden is heading to Louisiana Friday to survey the devastation left behind by Hurricane Ida. It was the fifth most powerful storm in U.S. history, battering the state with 150 mile per hour winds and relentless rain. According to the Associated Press, Ida wreaked more than $50 billion in damage. The Supreme Court has refused to block the strict new abortion law in Texas, raising fears about the future of Roe v. Wade. The justices voting five to four declined to stop the measure, which banned abortions after six weeks. The group of abortion providers, including Planned Parenthood, had filed an emergency request to block the law on Monday, saying it would essentially overturn the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. Texas officials called the request audacious, and President Biden decried the legislation as a blatant violation of constitutional rights. Joe Rogan, the the host of the immensely popular Spotify podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, says he has tested positive for COVID. The 54-year-old revealed his diagnosis on Wednesday in a video to his 13 million Instagram followers. While Rogan says he's feeling better, keep in mind one of the drugs he said he took is generally used to treat or prevent parasites in animals. A treatment the FDA urges against. Dom, those are your headlines for this Thursday. All right. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera, for those headlines. Tracking right now Ida as it barrels through the Northeast, triggering historic flooding across New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. Watching that storm closely. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back. Historic rainfall and flooding in the Northeast as what remains of Ida barrels through the region. We are tracking the storm's path and the damage in its wake coming up. Plus, a U.S. judge approving a highly watched bankruptcy filing for Oxycontin maker Purdue Pharmaceuticals, dealing the Sackler family a lifeline in the process. And McDonald's trying to fill its hiring gap with, get this, 14-year-olds. It's Thursday, September 2nd, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning on Worldwide Exchange. Let's start with the markets because we are coming off some record highs for the NASDAQ. But right now, the Dow Jones is implied higher by just about 50 some points. So a marginal gain there implied at the open. The S&P implied higher by roughly seven points and the NASDAQ here implied higher by 32. Remember, record highs there for the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ composite, the NASDAQ 100 as well. On the bond side of things, interest rates, a key Area to watch ahead of what's happening with the jobs report on Friday. Right near benchmark 10-year note yields a hair above 1.29%. And then two-year note yields just a hair below 21 basis points or 0.21%. We are watching the financials. August was a very strong month for that sector overall, but we've seen pressure in just the last few days. Banks are the worst performing S&P 500 industry group over the last week, just down about 3% or so during that span. Wells Fargo, the hardest hit, down 12% during the period with a 5% drop yesterday following drops again in the previous session. If you are, though, looking for a winner, check out media and entertainment. That sector gaining nearly 7% in a week, hitting a new high yesterday. The biggest drivers there during the last few days have been Netflix, Facebook, 
Electronic Arts, Disney, and CNBC parent company Comcast. So watch that media and entertainment sector surging on a year-to-date basis. To this morning's top story and the remnants of Hurricane Ida slamming now the northeast overnight and this morning as well. Torrential rains and historic floods creating a travel nightmare for many around the area and dangerous and sometimes, yes, deadly situations for others as well. We have team coverage this morning with our own Contessa Brewer tracking the damage in Ida's wake and NBC meteorologist Bill Cairns on the storm's path and potential next targets. Contessa, we will start with you. All right. So, John, what we're looking at right now is that uh, a travel ban overnight in New York City has just been lifted. That happened at 5 a.m. this morning. But if people depend on mass transit, they are likely going to encounter huge challenges. Here's flooding from the Bronx that we've seen coming in from late last night, early this morning. Uh, we, we know that the rain had created such severe problems there that they had to use high-profile vehicles to go in and do water rescues in the Bronx. Uh, the New York Times is reporting that seven people have died from flooding in New York City alone. All right, so that's a problem. This, we also have video coming into us from Newark where the streets have flooded. We know that uh, as close to the train station there as a block away, this is from Nick Kerchevsky taking this last night, talking about um, how the infrastructure was failing and the streets were flooding. Uh, and, and this has nearly shut down train service in New Jersey. There is, I believe, one line still up and running in the state of New Jersey. The governor of New Jersey has instituted a state of emergency and asked people, please, to stay home if they can today. Let's talk about uh, Maryland. We know that there were uh, a tornado, an EF3 tornado that had touched down. We also understand that there were children on a school bus yesterday. They got caught in floodwaters, as you can see here, and Rescuers had to go in and get those children out of school buses. But this is a scene that we're seeing playing out again over and over. Maryland, Pennsylvania, around Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and now Massachusetts under tornado watches as well. The scenes this of, of rescue and damage are going to continue this morning as the relentless rain just does not give up. And remember, these were areas that had already been saturated by such a wet uh, beginning of the week. We had already seen a tropical storm coming through here, saturating the ground. And there you're seeing the subway video of the water coming down, Dom, under trapping people down there, shutting down nearly the entire subway system of New York City. Contessa, I, I wonder, as we see images like we're seeing right now, it's obvious to me that it's going to take a long time to recover from this. Just how much or what will the focus be for certain emergency crews so far this morning? It's not like you can just make floodwaters go away. I mean, you can pump to a certain degree, but how much is it going to be a difficult task, I guess, to get some of these people and their emergency efforts to kind of the places they are, they are needed the most? 
We have firsthand experience because of Superstorm Sandy coming through. We know that, number one, you have to make sure the infrastructure is working properly. In other words, that the storm drains are cleared. And often after flooding, they're not. The debris washes in, clogging the storm drains, which keeps those floodwaters in place. So they'll be working to immediately clear the floodwater. They're going to be working, going house to house in these highly flooded neighborhoods to make sure that people are safe and those who need help, especially the elderly or infirm, can get help, get Getting out of their apartments, if if the case is, they're going to be trying to restore power in places that have lost power. And especially where tornadoes and those high winds came through, we're going to be seeing power outages uh, as well. This is a widespread effort. And, and don't forget, because we already saw it in the South, some of the assets may have already been deployed to the Gulf Coast to prepare there to help Louisiana and other states get back on their feet uh, following Ida. So we're, we're going to be stretched pretty thin. I anticipate, given the problems with the train lines, the subway, Newark Airport um, saw massive flight ca- cancellations yesterday because of flooding at the airport. So anyone who needs to get anywhere other than home this morning is going to want to call and check ahead before they leave because you may have problems getting to where you're going. Contessa, I just want to point out to some of our viewers out there right now that the images that we are showing you right now with cars trying to drive through floodwaters, people kind of trying to get their stores. This is from an area in New Jersey, Rutherford, New Jersey, which is literally maybe about 15 minutes away from our main studios here in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. So if you're looking for an idea of what New York City is going through right now, this is Rutherford Station, which is, again, not far from where we are. So this is certainly an issue for the entire tri-state area. Uh, Contessa Brewer, thank you very much for that and and for those images as well. Now let's turn to Bill Karens and the track of where Ida is headed right now. So, Bill... I was already seeing some clearing during my drive into work today. Is this storm heading out to sea? Uh, quickly. You have to remember, this is mostly a flash flood event. So this is, it's in, it's boom, and then it's gone. A lot of areas, the water is going to be completely gone uh, by early this morning or even by the time we get to the afternoon. And this is the loop over the 18 hours. And this is about a 1 in 200 to 1 in 500 year event. So what that means is, Every year, going into every year, there's a 0.2 to 0.5% chance of an event like this happening. So extremely rare. And this is rivaling Hurricane Floyd in 1999 for the highest water levels on many rivers and in many areas from Pennsylvania through New Jersey. And the rainfall totals, we knew we had a chance for a big flash flood event. We didn't know exactly where it would occur yesterday. It was the Poconos, the Catskills, the Hudson Valley. It ended up being right from eastern PA through central and northern Jersey, right over in New York City. I mean, that look at that, seven, eight inches, four, six. I mean, that is a huge, widespread rainfall event. And what happened is the biggest issue was the intensity of the rain. In one hour, Newark had over three inches of rain, and so did Central Park. That's the most rain either station has ever recorded in one hour, ever. Any thunderstorm, any hurricane, any tropical storm, and New York City's records go back 170 years. And in New York City, that six-hour rain total was 6.63 inches. 
In average, September has four inches of rain to give you some kind of perspective. And Newark was almost eight inches. Those were one in 500-year rainfall totals for those six-hour period. And then New York City ended up being the fifth wettest day on record. Newark was eight inches, which was the wettest day ever. And this was yesterday's weather map that showed where the high risk of flash flooding was. It was an excellent forecast right over the top of New York, southern New York, Connecticut, and eastern PA. We knew it had a chance of happening. So what's left of this? Not a lot. Boston, the rain is finally ending. We still have flash flood warnings everywhere in Maroon. So be very careful this morning traveling from Providence to Cape Cod, Boston to Springfield, down to Hartford. Things will be improving, though, around the New York City area. And the additional rainfall was primarily out on the Cape and then down East Maine. So, Dom, I mean, this was not your average rainfall event. This was something that most people have never seen in their lifetimes. We have thousands of homes with water in them, especially basements, and the number of vehicles and cars that were flooded, that is going to be incredible. I mean, probably tens of thousands. I'm not sure many people knew just how historic that rainfall was going to be. Bill Cairns, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it, sir. Now to this morning's top headlines. Let's bring in Christina Partsinevelis back with those. Christina. Good morning. We have the Department of Justice that is reportedly preparing a second monopoly lawsuit against Alphabet's Google over its digital advertising business. According to Bloomberg, a lawsuit could be filed as soon as December, though no final decisions have been made and the timing could be pushed back. The move, though, marks a stark acceleration in the government's claims that Google is abusing its dominant market position. A federal judge late yesterday said he will approve OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma's roughly $4.5 billion bankruptcy reorganization plan. The ruling clears a path to resolve thousands of opioid lawsuits while at the same time shielding the company's owners, the Sackler family, from future opioid-related litigation. The plan, which Purdue values at roughly $10 billion, dissolves the drug maker and shifts assets to a new company not controlled by Sackler family members. The new company will be owned by a trust run to combat the opioid epidemic. And CBS's Viacom-owned Paramount Pictures is delaying the release for Tom Cruise's next two movies yet again over concern the pandemic will hurt box office returns. Top Gun Maverick, which was expected to premiere on November 19th, will now hit theaters May 27th, 2022, Memorial Day weekend. And Mission Impossible Impossible 7 is being delayed until September 30th, my birthday, 2022. Dom, he's pushing 49, Tom Cruise. He sure doesn't look it if you watch any of those movies. He is a guy who's been in top shape for a long time now. Christina Partsinevelis, thank you very much for that. Let's turn now to the markets after seven straight months of wins for the S&P. This year, we've made it to September, and history tells us that September is typically the worst month for the stock market. Let's bring in Ryan Dietrich. You know him, chief market strategist over at LPL Financial. Should we be fearful, Ryan, of September? Hey, Dom, good morning. I'll tell you, record rainfall and pushing back Tom Cruise movies. I mean, September is off to a rough start. But as everyone knows, historically, September is the worst month of the year. Last, you know, since 1950, the last 10 years, the last 20 years. Historically, it's rough. We saw a 9.6% correction last September in the midst of a huge bull market. So, yeah, you know, seasonality is a little worrisome. But here's an interesting one for you. We're up 20% for the year, as we all know, coming into September. When you're up 20% for the year, the last two times it happened was the mid-90s. We actually gained like 5% each of those September. So the truth of the matter is we're a little concerned with the calendar, but there is sure a lot of momentum behind this market. Like I've been coming on and telling you guys for a while, we still think uh, any dips, we're probably going to go higher after those dips.
All right. So so if that's the case, we haven't seen that many dips at all, really, over the course of the past year, even kind of 18 months or so. When we say dips here, Ryan, what are they? Are they four to five percent dips? Are we looking for the the 10 to 15 percent dip? Could we see a 20 percent drop in the midst of a bull bull market and still see the bull market continue? A great question. We'd say probably between four to eight percent. And with all the monetary policy and, and fiscal stimulus is out there and the economy opening up and the earnings, things are still very strong. But, you know, we haven't had a five percent correction since last October. Right. That's one of the longest streaks in history. But you talk about history. You know, we're up seven months in a row on the S&P 500. That's one of the longest win streaks we've ever seen. When you go back in history, Dom, the last 14 times we've had a six month win streak going back to World War Two. Six months later, the S&P's higher, 13 of those times, up like 8% on average, way better than the average return. So these are just different ways to look at it. But the truth is this much strength, this much momentum, and honestly, market breadth is coming back. Look at small caps, look at transports from the areas that were beaten up. All of a sudden, we think, you know, hey, the market kind of does its thing, right? Most, most small caps are down double digits. A lot of technology stocks have been down a lot, even though the market is making new highs. It's just that rotation that takes place, and it's still a really healthy bull market. So we don't think any more between 4 to 8% correction, if it happens. Let's assume, hypothetically, that there is this 4 to 8% pullback in the broader market overall. What exactly then goes on your shopping list from a strategy perspective when the market kind of pulls back? What would you buy on those particular dips? Absolutely. We still like the cyclical value names. I know they've struggled the last three or four months. You know, your industrials, materials, financials. You guys mentioned before I come on financial the week a little bit later, uh, a little bit lately. But if you look since March 31st, when the 10-year yield peaked, financials are actually one of the strongest groups with that 10-year yield weakening. So we're overall thinking if the economy can improve, which we still think it will, earnings are strong. Those cyclical value names early in an economic cycle of growth will lead. And that's where we're overweight for our more than 19,000 advisors. The other group we like like small caps. I mean, small caps had that 25% rally in the fourth quarter last year. They've kind of consolidated all this year. Our take is it's just consolidating that huge fourth quarter. And when all is said and done, we think small caps can have another big fourth quarter this year. All right. Small caps and cyclicals. Thank you very much, Ryan Dietrich over at LPL. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Coming up on the show, we know wildfires threaten life and prosperity, but there's now an increasing worry about water. Yes, water. Details from Diana Olick in the latest installment of her Rising Risk series. That's coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, some of today's other top headlines. If you have more than 10,000 Twitter followers, you can now earn money from tweeting. The company is launching a new feature called Super Follows that lets some users charge for access to subscriber-only content. More evidence of labor shortages across the country. A story now going viral this week about a McDonald's in Oregon, Medford specifically, putting up a huge banner saying that it's now hiring 14 and 15 year olds for its open positions. And YouTube has reportedly hit 50 million subscribers for its paid music streaming service. That would be up from a 30 million user count reported by the company last October. Big moves in YouTube music. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. More than a dozen wildfires are burning up and down the state of California right now, already surpassing the acreage burned at this point last year, which was the worst on record, by the way. So how do we break this cycle of increasingly explosive fire seasons? The answer may be in the water. 
CNBC's Diana Olick reports in her continuing series on the rising risks from climate change. As fires tear across America's West, the risk right now is to life and property. Soon, it will be to water. When we have large-scale fires like this, get huge amounts of erosion that end up filling up the dams and reservoirs that store water and that help create hydropower. Like a bathtub filling with mud, the reservoir capacity is reduced and the water contaminated. It's estimated that in California, about 70% of the state's drinking water either starts or flows through national forests. We are feeling a huge sense of urgency to do work in the forest to make them more resilient to uh, climate change and to these large-scale catastrophic fires. Two years ago, the first ever Forest Resilience Bond was launched by the nonprofit Blue Forest and its founder, Zach Knight. It was just $4 million. We were well oversubscribed from investors for this first project. That private capital was used to thin and restore about 15,000 acres in the Tahoe National Forest. Investors are being paid back by local water and hydroelectric utilities. And now, working with the World Resources Institute... We are about to launch our second forest resilience bond, 48,000 acres of restoration. The value is six times the first at $25 million. And investor interest is so strong, there's already about $200 million in the pipeline for more. Corporations in all sorts of different sectors, in the beverage sector, agricultural sector, tech sector, they're all taking this quite seriously and looking at how they can be part of the solution. For tech, many of the data centers which need water to cool themselves are located in water-stressed areas. But water seeps into every aspect of commerce. Water is essential to our business. We need it to manufacture our products, and we need it to use our products. In just the last year, Procter & Gamble provided a $200,000 grant to restore 400 acres in the El Dorado National Forest, which feeds the water supply of Sacramento and other Bay Area cities. That is in collaboration with the Forest Fund. Business has a responsibility to address these issues. And for water specifically, I think it's really a matter of identifying those areas where your business may be at risk. The return on the forest bond is only about 4%, but investors are more interested in the risk-related returns. That is lowering their risk from costly droughts and disruptions to their water supply. And that risk is only growing exponentially as the climate heats, Dom. This is this is fascinating because there's always a development with with regard to how people kind of treat this from a risk perspective. Could could this kind of thing, could this sort of thing be used in the in the carbon credit markets, I I guess, as well? This kind of a a kind of systematic approach to managing some of the financial and, and risks involved. It probably could down the road once the carbon credit markets become more mature and we figure out ways to measure this. It wouldn't really offset any carbon emissions, but it would definitely offset the risk and help to preserve the forests and make forests and make them more resilient. So it's absolutely possible down the road as the carbon credit markets mature that this could become a part of it. All right. Uh, interesting development there when it comes to climate and, and, and everything else happening out there. Diana Olick, thank you very much. Coming up on the show, looking for the most attractive places for your money. 
Why your next guest says she prefers service sectors over goods sectors. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now pointing to some marginal gains at the opening bell with the Nasdaq, remember, coming off fresh record highs in yesterday's session. Joining us now is Katerina Simonetti with Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. Katerina, is the market still attractive with the Nasdaq at record highs? Don, thank you for having me on the show. Well, this market certainly continues to surprise us. Every time, you know, we think that how much more run up can we see, you know, it just keeps going up. And there are certainly sectors that are attractive, you know, even in this market, you know, as we're seeing this kind of rotation to quality, we see a certain amount of profit taking, you know, there are certain sectors that we like and the other ones that we're a little bit cautionary about, like example being we are underweight consumer discretionary specifically when it, when it comes to goods we see the demand going down as prices are going up but at the same time we really like the services because there's so much pent-up demand for experiences that people are still having and we still see the higher demand in that space we also can't ignore the fact that s p 500 is up by over 20 percent this year and investors are seeing it and getting a little bit concerned so what we're advocating to do is taking profits in the indexes like s p 500 like russell 2000 and rotating to quality going into the very careful security selection and into a specific sectors that are well positioned to deal with this higher volatility, which is what we're expecting for the remainder of this year. Are there certain companies out there? You mentioned some of the sectors and, and, and you know, market cap areas. Are there specific companies or industries that are more attractive than others? Are, are semiconductors and, and cloud computing places that you would go in technology? Is it other names and financials? Is it regional banks or insurers? What exactly do you put the money into? Dom, it's a great question. There are certainly certain, uh, the technology is uh, positioned very well in, in a specific sector, semiconductors, that just like you mentioned. But our absolute favorites in this space are healthcare and financials. Uh, in healthcare, I mean, it, it, look, Delta variant is very much out there. It's a concern. There is a lot of pent up demand in healthcare services. We see pharmaceutical companies, we see, you know, just, just all healthcare as a general sector. It extremely well positioned in this environment. Same thing can be said for banking and financials in general. Historically, this is the sector that is positively correlated to the rising interest rate environment. And Federal Reserve, um, as a general expectation, you know, is probably going to start tapering, you know, as soon as this fall, maybe in the winter. And investors are expecting, market is expecting that the rates are going to be going up and profit margins for financials are going to be much wider than what we've been seeing before. So rotating to quality and looking at individual equities from the perspective of valuations. How are they positioned in the marketplace? What are the future earnings potential for the companies? This is what we need to see. We need to take a really close look at our investment portfolios, both in equities and in bonds, because, you know, getting through this higher interest rate environment is going to be quite a challenge and we need to be prepared and we need to take do some healthy profit taking in certain sectors and rotate to quality and making sure that we're positioned to get through this challenging times that, in our opinion, you know, are on the horizon. Just a few moments left here. Katarina, do we fear the Fed in tapering? 
We absolutely do. I, we are expecting it. They are going with the narrative that the inflation is transitory and very much rightfully so. They're trying to get the uh, economy through the recovery and they're doing a really good job at it. But tapering is on the horizon. We think it's only a matter of time and we believe that market is expecting it. So what we tell the client is focus less on the short term and more on the long term strategic positioning of their portfolios. All right. With the 10 year Treasury note yield at one point two nine percent right now, Katarina at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth, thank you very much for joining us this morning. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Right now, the futures are pointed to some modest gains at the opening bell. The Nasdaq coming off a record high in yesterday's session. That mega cap technology trade still very much in focus. It's been a market leader over the last few months. Keep it right here. Squawk Box is back after this break. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.